right, hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back to uh, Cruising Down the Boulevard after a nice off-season hiatus. Uh, we have here today Sam Protzman uh, of Akuna Matata. Sam, say hello. Hey, podcasters. Uh, things are good. Things are good. Um, so Sam and I were chatting um, ahead of the, the call on Wednesday that we're planning on having um, for TPL kind of season kickoff. Um, I think there's going to be a lot to discuss. I think as I'm sure some people have not thought very much about baseball in general or TPL in, in particular over the last couple of months, there's been lots of other things on everyone's mind. Um, we figured the call would be more productive on Wednesday if we just had a little chat and some um, some discussion around where things currently stand, um, what we are planning on discussing for Wednesday's call, um, so that when we get on the phone, people have at least had like a day or so to think about uh, the rule changes and just get their minds back in a, a kind of a TPL um, place, so that when we have the discussion on Wednesday, we can actually have a like meaningful um, conversation and push forward whatever we need to be deciding on. Um, so we figured no better person than Sam Protzman, the commissioner, uh, to come on and, and chat with us. But before we get into that, Sam, do you want to just take a couple minutes and tell us what you've been up to over last couple months for, for COVID times as we're not as uh, as in touch with each other's personal lives as we normally would be? Yeah, for sure. I think this is a great idea, Roma, because I honestly had uh, kind of not falling off on the TPL um, specifics and this was a good kind of kick in the ass to get re-engaged with it and you know figure out what the rules are what we need to talk about and everything which it's kind of my job to do so um, appreciate you reaching out on this uh, Corona basically has been raising a puppy for me which has been the best thing ever he's a little monster um, Bodhi um, and otherwise just spending a lot of time with uh, my roommate and my girlfriend. Uh, it's been half back here in the league. Um, and hopefully we have normal TPL this year because I know that last year was fun, but not what everyone was hoping it would be. And we're staring down a labor crisis in baseball next year. So hopefully we can squeeze a good one in, in 2021 and finally pass the belt off to somebody else as much as I like having it. It feels <laughs> a little honored in my apartment right now. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, another thing I actually wanted to chat with you about before we jump into TPL specifically was, um, like, what are your thoughts on, on when the season might start? I know there's been some some back and forth, and I know the 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 two sides are not necessarily on, on very good starting terms, given what happened last offseason and with the upcoming uh, labor negotiations. Uh, just curious to see if you think we'll be getting the season off on time or if you think there might be a delay. I honestly have no idea because people keep acting like it's not going to start on time, but I haven't seen any official reports about when that might happen. At the same time, we're two months out, basically, from when you would expect the first game to be, and we don't even know what the rules are going to be. There's no free agent side. So um, MLB keeps going down this nice downward spiral of incompetency. I actually uh, found out that my boss is... Uh, relatively decent friends with Adam Silver and he uh, he let slip that he thinks Manfred is uh, extremely incompetent which from one sports commissioner talking about another I found pretty interesting and as a commissioner myself I would say I agree um, but I think we just have to 
plan on being flexible and, you know, I have to make changes pretty quickly and try to be as accommodating as possible uh, for people's schedules and availability, but uh, who really knows what we're going to get. It's such a bummer. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I There was a point about a month or so ago that I think I was extremely pessimistic about a, um, a season starting on time. Now there seems to be at least at least a... I agree, Manfred is a, a, a terrible commissioner and has handled the entire situation over the last year and a half or so, uh, in addition to a lot of other things, in a pretty horrible way. Um, not at all what you would expect someone that's trying to grow the game or build the game. Um, so clearly he's not thinking about that or at least not prioritizing that ahead of his relationship with the owners. Um, I'm optimistic, uh, but I, I do agree that if we if we do have something that is not kind of the traditional uh regular season, uh, I, I encourage everyone to stay flexible and, and kind of deal with it accordingly. And I think we will find a way to do that. And I can tell just talking to some people, even if it's a, a slightly shortened season, it seems like everyone is eager and excited to get back to kind of regular TPL um, with their regular teams and, and keepers and draft picks. So short of, I guess, a complete um, surprise in terms of a, a season that is less than you know, 100 games or something like that, I would assume that we're probably moving forward with um, kind of going back to TPL as is, which I know we can all be very excited for. Um, so let's let's dive into what we're going to talk about on Wednesday, which is some of the, I guess, making sure that everyone's on the same page on some of the rule changes that we made prior to last year's COVID Cup and then the changes that we made during COVID Cup and trying to figure out kind of where things might be to kick off uh, 2021 TPL. Um, so I know one of the things that we were talking about, Sam, earlier was there's a couple changes that we, one change that we made specifically to um, rosters, which I know the two categories that I would place this under would be roster changes and scoring changes. And there's only re- one real scoring change. But from a roster changes perspective, prior to COVID, we had changed our utility spots from two utils to three utils. Um, and, right. and we didn't add a bench spot with that. That's one thing that um, you know we specifically didn't do because people didn't want the waiver pool to get smaller. So it was still 26. We reduced benches from 7 to 6 and added that third util. That was originally what we had planned on doing. Yeah, that, that's a great point. So so we didn't actually expand the, the rosters in general. We just shifted one of the bench spots to a util spot to try to see whether or not people like that. And then what we did prior to COVID um, was for the COVID Cup, we actually expanded the roster one additional spot. And instead of doing three utils, we did corner infield, middle infield, four outfield, and then one util spot. So we effectively reassigned those three util spots to either corner, middle, or another outfielder, and then added a util spot. I guess you could think of it that way. Um, so I'm curious from, from your perspective, what you did you like? I know you've been a kind of a proponent for expanding the rosters in general, but also reassigning utils to like a corner, middle, and a another outfielder. Do you like that change? Is that something you'd like to see moving forward? Kind of where do you stand on that? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Um, definitely having more outfielders. You know, three outfielders by twelve teams is only thirty six outfielders now. Obviously, with benches and utility spots, you have. Um, quite a few more rostered but then when you look at some of the infield positions too that are so deep third base and shortstop uh, predominantly and you know you only are playing one of those positions in your starting lineup um, I thought the corner infield middle infield 
was a really good addition, um, probably more so than the outfielder piece. I liked all of it. Um, and I the feedback I got from people was pretty positive on that, I think. Um, the big question for me personally isn't uh, adding those CIMI outfield spots, but um, going down to one util potentially uh, because – you know, it affects a few keepers. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking Shohei, although if he doesn't pitch, he might gain a um, fielding eligibility, and Jordan. I don't know if there's too many others. I still think with one utility, you are you can work around that. It's a little bit of a constraint, but, um, you know, there's a reason, like, Nelson Cruz is still so highly drafted, even though he's only a utility spot. So I'm curious on the call on Wednesday to see what people thought of it because, you know, the minimal feedback I've gotten on it was pretty positive and sounded like, um, you know, people enjoyed having that, that new experience with the positionals, the positions. Yeah. And that actually brings up a, an interesting point. Um, and, and I don't know if we've made a decision on this and this actually wasn't something that I had on my notes or that I talked to you about, but since you brought it up, it, it kind of triggered something in my mind of thinking about player position eligibility. Um, so for example, if, if, I think the easiest way for us to deal with position eligibility moving forward is to just use whatever Fantrax uses. That that will be, in my mind, the kind of the path of, of least resistance. But that means that players that may have played the field in um, in 2019 might have either lost their position eligibility because they were only DH for, uh, for 2020 or, um, for example, Vlad, who would have played third base prior... Uh, mostly played first base. I'm not sure if he played enough third base to get third base eligibility for 2021. Um, do we have a sense of what we, I guess, do we have a rule on what we're going to do yet? Or is it up for discussion how we want to deal with that? Yeah, so that's the one thing I don't have notes on um, from the call we did in July. Because we did, just to kind of recap, we paused TPL, obviously. We froze transactions, which are now unfrozen. Um, we're going to re-roster the September 30th rosters from 2019 for keeper purposes because folks might have dropped players who, given last year's performance, would have been a potential keeper, and it was basically just um, a drop that was meaningless over the offseason just to kind of get your roster looking at you like to look at it on your team page potentially um so we're going to repopulate those so folks will have those keeper opportunities um you know if someone broke out and we also um and did the minor league plan that chris Holly came up with where he is tracking the uh at bats and innings pitched and basically we're pausing rookie eligibility in the sense that your guys will if they hadn't had an at-bat before last year, but they had 60 at-bats last year, you get 130 at-bats before you have to call them up um, of TPL at-bats. So if they were at 60 before, it would be 190 before they lose rookie eligibility for our purposes. We might have to get weird with fan tracks to get it to not buck on those guys who are technically not rookie eligible being yeah. in the league spots. Yeah, I, I think that's right. to work on that I can figure out. Um, but we do need to, that's an important thing to note for, you know, minor leaguers, and I've 
heard rumblings of minor league trades being discussed. So um, I want to make sure that people understand what the rules are before they're making transactions. So I encourage people to reach out to me and I can clarify things. On the positional eligibility, I don't have notes. I have notes on everything else. And I think that we said we were going to pause it based on what happened in 2019. So going into 2020, what eligibilities would have been. Um, if someone, and we can talk about that on the call on Wednesday, if someone remembers that more clearly than I, that would be fantastic. But I'm pretty sure that we said we're just freezing everything and we will go into 2021 as if it was 2020 based off of what happened in 2019. Okay. Well, I I don't recall specifically. So, and, and whether, like it, if we're unsure now, I guess with benefit of hindsight, we can kind of discuss what, what the league thinks is most fair. Um, because there's, there's an element of, I guess, unlike the minor league, um, eligibility thing, which Chris has, uh, done a good job of following and he has a spreadsheet and he kind of has updates for us. So we can kind of touch on, on that specifically. The, the, the roster, not the roster, but the uh, position eligibility, I think is going to be a much harder thing logistically to manually override. Um, so we should take that in consideration. I don't, I don't have a, a, a strong preference. I think it's, um, I think we just discuss and, and that can be something that is somewhat of a, I think, I think if I recall, we kind of said, we'll probably do this, uh, which is the 2019 thing, but like, it, we might have to come back to it. So I guess we'll, we'll see and we'll discuss with the league, but, um, yeah, back to the rookie eligibility um, thing that we just mentioned. That was on my, my list as well to touch on. Um, definitely a... I think we, we outlined that pretty clearly. And if we if we do have to come up with a kind of a custom Fantrax solution, uh, we can do that. Because, for example, I have Gavin Lux, who going into last year did not break his rookie eligibility. And then throughout his at-bats in 2020 has passed the 130 at-bat mark. But because we agreed that he would go back to whatever 50 at-bats or whatever he had um, prior, then <clears throat> he should still be rookie eligible. But right now, Fantrax I'm seeing is showing me an alert that says, like, he's in an il ineligible roster spot. And so it will prevent me from doing other things until I adjust that. So we'll, we'll have to come up with a way. I'm sure other people have that same issue. Um, so we'll, we'll, have, we'll have to come up with a way to deal with that logistically because he's at he's at 151 plate appearances and he had 82 going into 2020 so technically exactly. he should have a what is that 48 plate appearance buffer or i, I guess eligibilities have bad some plate appearances so you have a little bit of a buffer there so might have to just set the thresholds higher and um chris holly will have to be a hall monitor on the minor league stuff um but again, you know, something that we, we got to figure out and kind of define how we're going to handle it, but it should be relatively easy. Yeah, I, I think I think that is, because there are 24 or at maximum 36, I guess it de it depends on kind of if people's minor league keepers might have changed over time. But I guess realistically, if you're only keeping two, it's only two times 12 to monitor. And so Chris already has done a lot of the work on that. So it should be relatively straightforward, but just something for, for us to remember for the call on Wednesday? It's more so um, for people to track if they're considering making minor league trades before the season starts, before we submit keepers. Yep. Because you want to understand um, 
what the asset you're getting is pretty clearly. Um, so he has that tracking sheet out there, which is everyone should have the email for. It has all of the minor league players, so all potentially 60 or so going into 2020, and they're tracking, so you can use that as a crib sheet if you're thinking about making a, a deal for any sort of minor leaguer. Yep, exactly. Um, yeah, I was going to say one other thing, but I completely blanked. Um, okay, yeah, so so that's that. I think that's in a in a fine place. We'll we'll deal with all the the stuff there, but it should be we should have a pretty straightforward relative plan there. Um, another thing I want to touch on that we did as a as a roster change last year was um, around the pitching slots, and we we. I think we originally decided against doing this, but then decided to try it for COVID Cup as a follow-up. And it was moving, um, instead of having five starting pitcher slots and four relievers, we did just nine pitchers, uh, which was something that added a little bit of a of strategy. It added kind of a little bit of complexity, but also flexibility. So um, curious from, from you whether or not that was something you liked or if some, that was something that you prefer not to have. My thing with the pitchers, and um, to be upfront, I do other fantasy baseball leagues that have just the generic pitcher label. And those I, I like how you said that as if you were like cheating on us. It's like yeah. <laughs> well, I just I, coming from a place of um, having done other things and potentially preferring those. I just want to emphasize that I've done you know some of these different real things that we talk about and. The difference is those are usually, um, when you do the pitcher generic, uh, innings pitch limits, not a starts limit. So you have kind of this pocket of innings that you get to use however you see fit between starters and relievers. Um, I like the starts limit that we do in TPL. I think that's better than the innings pitch limit. I think you it kind of emphasizes you need to be using starters, like baseball teams use starters, although not as much anymore. Um, and... It's a really good part of the strategy and how we've always done the league. Uh, my issue with how we've always had the SPRP slots in TPL is you basically have these roster slots that go unused a bunch, right? You don't have uh, hardly ever five starting pitchers going on a day. And so you basically have uh, two to five spots every day that are just kind of blank in terms of uh, potentially contributing stats to your team. And the aspect of the generic pitcher that I like is it gives you a lot more flexibility with relievers um, to hammer relievers. So I don't know if that benefit of you know changing up how you can manage your overall pitchers and getting more relief use in there, getting maybe some long innings guys, trying to change saves and holds, however you want to use it, I don't know if that benefit is uh, worth what you give up on the SPRP side and the starts limit side. So I'll be curious to hear what people thought of that. Uh, I don't think it'll be anything we're changing in the immediate future, um, but it was definitely nice, I thought, to play around with it uh, for you know, a certain year and hopefully see what people thought of it on Wednesday. Yeah, I think the, the, way, that, the way that these type of changes which involve like an adjustment or a wrinkle to strategy the way that they've been kind of interpreted in the league in the past has been in two buckets one from a group of people that like the strategy and want to like like the additional complexity to it and then 
from the, the other side of the league, there's been kind of a voice of let's not change too much because it benefits the people that are able to spend more time um, focusing on the strategy and, and shifting their own individual strategy because they have more time to focus on it to take advantage of it. So I'd love on, on Wednesday, um, knowing that that will be kind of a pushback, like we know that those will be kind of the two of the avenues that we'll walk down in terms of like, this is a good idea, but do we want to change like more about the league? I'd love to hear from the people who like don't necessarily talk about this as much to say like whether or not doing this in COVID Cup they felt um, was an interesting thing or if they felt in some way disadvantaged uh, because they couldn't spend enough time to figure out the the complexity complexities of it or the best way to pursue the strategy or maybe they didn't think about it at all. So I, I just love to hear from the people that a lot of times are spoken for in these type of discussions. Um, and that to me, if, if we can generally come up with a, a, a pretty good understanding of where the league sits, I think that might help uh, drive forward the discussion, whether it's in favor of adopting some more of these changes or not in favor of adopting some more of these changes. Um, and that actually leads me to the, the piece that I think is an important one to discuss, which Sam, you and I talked about yesterday, um, about how we address some of these changes and potential changes. Um, and I, let me kind of backtrack a little bit. There are some of these changes, like for example, um, SB versus SBN, I think we had already voted on, if I'm not mistaken, and that was already gonna be something that would uh, take in, in hold. And the way that the constitution is written, if you institute a change in the off season prior to let's say 2020, uh, the category or the roster change can't go into effect until uh, 2021 because you want to give people time to adjust their strategies accordingly to plan for it. Right? To plan for it. Um, and so the, the, I would argue that in, in SB versus SBN, because that was something that we had already voted on, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, because we did it in 2020, even in the COVID cup scenario, in my mind, that's already somewhat of a foregone conclusion. There's meaning that in 2021, we can already implement it having done the, the, I guess, trial season. The other changes as it relates to the roster stuff, I think is a little bit more complicated, um, but we, we have had this weird COVID season where I think it, may, it might make sense, um, bef like as we talk about this, to take a vote early on and say, like, are we okay, without having to change the constitution, are we okay if we decide on certain changes to roster sizes or whatever it may be, to implement them in 2021, knowing that um, we kind of had the 2020 COVID season to test some of these things out. Uh, and then basically when it comes down to a vote, know that we're gonna implement it in 2021. Or if the answer to that initial vote is no, we can kind of keep the same approach of let's talk about some of these changes, but let's not actually implement them until 2022. Right, and that was, you know, one of the silver linings of the COVID cup was allowing us to try out some of these things that I don't think we would have ever passed the sort of voting numbers we would need to implement them into TPL. And frankly, some of them I wouldn't want to just put in place just because we wanted to try it out. So that was you know, one of the nice things about this. And if you remember when we went to three utility, um, we didn't expand the roster by one. We just shifted the bench because I think Todd led an argument for some folks that um, you don't want 
to go 12 players deeper into the waiver pool. And, you know, there's this can't become like an all-encompassing hobby that we have. We have to kind of strike a balance between um, the folks who want to be super into it and super passionate about it and keeping it as a casual uh, hobby that makes sense for folks who have other things going on in their lives. And that's one of the things that I, you know, try and counterbalance as a commissioner, my personal interests, which are more skewed towards the um, kind of intense and uh, all in on a day-to-day basis side of things versus what's going to be best for the league long term. So putting some of these um, changes in place was awesome. And I do think there are some of them that we might be able to keep immediately. My concern with, and we, we have a big conversation about this to start the call on Wednesday about, you know, how the mechanics of potentially carrying any of this over immediately. My biggest concern is even though we had a chance to try it out in a uh, test like beta format, basically, um, people still haven't had a chance to adjust their rosters and transactions and how, um, they've managed their rosters and assets uh, coming into these changes. So if it's something small like SBN to SB, I that makes sense. But if it's something more drastic, then if everyone's on board with it, I'm all for it. But I want to make sure that we're considering all angles of it and thinking about how um, that could adversely affect people or benefit people in a situation that they hadn't expected to be um, you know, affected in that way at the end of 2019, which is we're kind of looking at this as we're unfreezing in January 2020, except for we're a year later in terms of how the rosters work and the assets are. Right. So the, the default will be, as we have the discussion, unless we vote to potentially ratify the changes for this year, the default will be that anything that we're discussing will be the same as it would be in a normal TPL season, where we're discussing off-season changes that get implemented a year plus from now, and then only if the league is kind of, and maybe it's a two-thirds vote, I forget what the exact rules would be, but only if the league is, you know, interested in allowing for kind of this one-time, call it, um, circumnavigation of the traditional constitution because of the COVID season, would we implement any changes in 2021? But the default will be giving people more time to kind of get accustomed to it. I think the argument and the logic for being able to make those changes and make like an amendment or a rider to the constitution based on what happened last year um, with the test phase would be reasonable. I don't think it would be like an egregious constitution circumvention. I also want to make sure that it would be something everyone's on board with. I don't want to kind of jam it down people's throats and um, be doing like, okay, we have seven people out of 11 who are for this and then four other people are getting axed out. So we'll, we'll see what the vibe is on, uh, on Wednesday. I think there's going to be a lot of enthusiasm for some of the changes and maybe a little bit more lukewarm on some of the other ones. Um, yep. and I, I know some, some TPL members are, um, big into the mechanics of the league and, you know, wanting to honor tradition, I guess, and follow the rules uh, by the letter of the law, which uh, I think is great. Uh, I think that people care about this in that way that much is awesome, Um, so I don't want to run afoul of those folks either. So I'm going into it with an open mind. I think we have some really good opportunities to implement some of these changes, and if everybody's on board with it, great, and if not, then you'll figure out what the best path to getting to those down the line might be. Yep, I think that's that's kind of how I'm thinking about it as well. Um, 
on a on a personal level as a kind of someone that is looking at these changes i think that there's definitely some that i would be more open to quicker than others um i i but i'm i'm curious to hear what the the league has to say because ultimately we are we will only be as good as kind of the the individual voices and and the global agreement or the the i guess group agreement um but i think i think it'll it's good to assess some of this stuff out now so that when we get to the call on wednesday people feel like they they understand kind of where they sit on on each individual position and and one one thing i wanted to mention this is actually what i was going to say before but then completely blanked um the important to remind people i think they know this but um, even the people that announced keepers in like mid March or early March last year, like sl- a few days prior to the uh, keeper deadline, obviously whoever you announced prior um, is you you can change it because there's there are like we want to give people the benefit of looking at their rosters from September 2019 and then reassessing who the right keeper mix might be. Um, it might be worthwhile to do that. Um, like sooner rather than later. So people look at their team and have a chance in the next month or so uh, prior, or I guess two months prior to draft weekend to start thinking about who their keepers might be um, if they changed at all. So all of that stuff is, is basically something that each team is going to effectively have the ability to start from scratch. Um, they may not change any of the keepers or they may swap out one or two, um, but something something to keep in mind. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think I'm going to have a change to my keepers based on what I thought was going to happen going to 2020 versus 2021 because um, I had planned on keeping Erod, who has myocarditis from coronavirus, which is awful on a you know, personal individual level for him. It sucks. I've been a big fan of his for years, um, and he's a pretty good guy. And, um, you know, probably not going to be keeping the guy who hasn't pitched in 18 months and has a heart problem, unfortunately, uh, versus, you know, I have Pablo Lopez on my roster at the end of 2019, who I, before the keeper cut off of, I think it was September 1st. Um, so a pretty natural swap out there, but I think a lot of people are going to have decisions like that to make, and we could see some big... I'm pretty sure we had like eight or nine people submit keepers. We were almost all the way there. Yeah. Uh, because it was so. <laughs> we were talking about this when you were over at my place the other day, but um, just terrible timing with coronavirus and the draft weekend. Obviously, you know, bigger, bigger picture issues are much larger than missing out on draft weekends. But we are pretty much going to be going through a 12 to 15 month shutdown of life in which we had two draft weekends uh, encapsulated at the beginning and end, which is. A bummer for us, um, but there's definitely going to be some switches up there on keepers and you know, what people are planning on carrying over into 2021. I'll definitely try to get the league renewed on fan tracks and have those rosters repopulated from the last day of 2019. So, you know, I think this call and hopefully this RomaCast will uh, get people's juices and interest in TPL and fantasy baseball back going. I know that you reaching out to me to do this um, really gave me a kick in the ass to uh, basically do my background on my team in TPL because it's been so long since I've had to think about the, the nitty-gritty of this league and it's getting me all excited to get started again. Yeah, no, I, I feel the the same exact way. Um, it's It's nice to, after, I guess, a couple months of 
dark, dreary New York City to have something that is on the horizon that is um, one completely independent of of not, I guess not independent in itself because it is impacted by COVID, but something to basically distract me from the COVID and political and everything news that's happening the last couple of weeks um, to focus on something that it is just something that brings me pure joy and and the potential for kind of a, a real baseball season and a real TPL season. And I don't even like knock on wood here because like maybe it's too soon to even say this, but like maybe the potential of actually going to a baseball game at some point in in the spring summer time frame is like it, it seems like such a novelty at this point but something i'm extremely looking forward to um and just a reminder for anyone that um may or may not have uh, listened to the podcast at the end of the season um i i am earmarking uh 500 of my winnings from uh last year from the COVID cup to pay for um in-person baseball tickets for anyone that is going to be up in New York. Um, so that's that's my budget. Um, and if you are interested in going to a game with me and whoever else, we'll get a group together. Because um, I think that's one of the that's one of the things that for this group of people obviously binds us all together in terms of their interest in baseball. With the, maybe the exception of Max, who ironically likes the league but doesn't like baseball at all. So um, <laughs> for for everyone else, I guess. But Max, you included as well. Um, yeah, it's just just a thing that is something fun to start looking forward to, and I think it's great to to get that momentum going. Um, so with that, I, I guess we'll we'll wrap up the um, the kind of the legal proceedings, if you will, about the rules and stuff, and kind of switch to some of the more fun uh, stuff as it relates to um, PPP or TPL specifically. And before we do that, um, I think for longtime listeners of the podcast. Um, uh, no, there's a, a, sec- a segment called PPP uh, where we do a puff puff pass where we take a hit of our bowls or whatever it is that we want to uh, be using. Uh, and then I ask you um, I ask you three questions. You have the ability to uh, pass on one of them, but you have to puff on the other two. Uh, and then we'll go through a quick team review of, uh, I guess, not preview, not review of 2021. And we'll kind of go through kind of your expectations of who's who's going to have a strong season uh, in the coming year, who's kind of going to be trailing uh, this particular season. Um, so why don't we why don't we kick it off uh, and enjoy, and then I'll, I'll come back to you in ten seconds when I'm done smoking this bowl. Perfect. Oh God! TPL this year. Uh, it's it's an interesting question because well, for for those of you that don't know, um, my team went through an official rebrand. Um, I I needed to to acknowledge the fact that I loved the team name Syndergaard Boulevard, uh, and I I changed the team la- name last year for a little bit um, throughout COVID Cup as Luke Voigt was kind of crushing and uh, hitting home run like every other game. And then the last day of the season, when it looked like I might win, I changed it back to Noah Syndergaard uh, or Syndergaard Boulevard to kind of send him off on a on a high note. Um, but I did have to acknowledge going forward that my my true gem and kind of the, the real asset of my team is Fernando Tatis Jr. 
who now is being drafted in top three, top five, wherever you're you're kind of looking at in terms of draft positioning, um, who I've had since a minor leaguer. So he's clearly kind of my my star player um, and also a really fun player to root for. Um, so I changed my team name to Tatis Boulevard, um, which I had to keep the Boulevard name so that the podcast can kind of keep its consistency. Uh, but there is a chance that if, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens with Gary Sanchez because he talk about players that didn't have a, a great 2020. He was certainly high amongst those players. Um, and if I don't keep him or trade for another fifth keeper, um, one of my potential options is having Syndergaard who, I don't know, the best timetable that I can envision would be him coming back in like May or June. Um, and I, I'm not sure that I'm going to do that, but it's, it's certainly still a possibility in the, uh, for, for Tatis Boulevard to, to keep Syndergaard. Yeah. And I guess you hadn't actually, you hadn't fully announced your keepers. I, I hadn't. Through this. And I man, hadn't. I'm scrolling back through this and there were some rough lists in here. I mean, Dan was going to keep Robles, Matt Boyd, um, there was Paddock and Benintendi for Ryan, and, you know, 60-game samples. Who knows? These guys might be good next year, but if we had rolled those players into the short season, there was some Josh Bell for Becker. Would have been, um, you know, some pretty flat performances from some of these keepers, so it's going to be wild seeing what we get, um, going into this year versus what we thought we were going to get going into last year and what magic people can make happen with kind of what was perceived as flotsam on the roster at the end of 2019 but might be valuable keepers going into 2020. I really enjoy the word flotsam, so I'm, I'm so happy that you, you worked that into, uh, into this podcast. <laughs> it's, uh, it's part of the sea shanty vibe. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I hope everyone's getting on, on board with the sea shanties. I I, I speak for myself um, and I guess Potsman who, who enjoy it. And uh, certainly after playing one of the sea shanties for Chris yesterday, I can tell you that he will never, ever be on board with uh, with that particular genre of music. Yeah. All right. Hit me. I know you have a I do. Yeah. So, time here, so yeah, let's if it's a couple minutes late, that's fine. But um, so f- first PPP before we got sidetracked. So. First question is, on, on a previous podcast that I had Marner on, one of my PPP questions was um, something along the lines of who, if you could pick one player in the league to never win again, who would it be? Um, and he took that question to the next degree, and not only did he call you out specifically as the person that he didn't want to ever win again, he went so far as to label you his arch nemesis in the league given that uh, you guys have kind of had your own individual team battles and you've often come out on top. Um, so I guess the, the question to you is, do you also feel that Marner is your arch nemesis? Uh, and, and could you kind of elaborate on that relationship? So that's one. Uh, two, um, I know that you kind of, we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about your, your departure of fandom from the Red Sox. And now you're, you're kind of, interest in the Reds organization. Uh, I guess my question is, are you a Reds fan for life or are you planning, like, is there a potential that you, you just have this revolving fandom based on whatever um, team you like at that time? How, how do you kind of envision this going forward? Uh, and then this one I think is interesting. Coming up, we, we've had some, um, some chats. Todd has been trying to figure out if this is our ninth year in the league or the 10th year in the league. 
Um, I think officially it would be the 10th year that TPL has since TPL started, but because COVID Cup was a unofficial season, it's technically this coming year is our ninth year. Um, but thinking about in coming up on 10 years in TPL, um, kind of aside from reflecting back on the, the past, kind of how do you envision the next 10 years of TPL playing out? So those are your three questions. You can answer two or you can take all three if you'd like. I think they're some really good questions, so I don't I don't need to pass on any of them and I'm a fan of puffing, so um, we can we can get into all three. Great. On the Marner on the Marner question, um, I definitely don't think he's my arch nemesis because he's never he's never really been an issue for me. We've gone head to head twice and I've come out on top of the time, so you know, I don't need to create uh uh, rivalry out of something that hasn't really um, been too much of a problem for me. I, I think I, I think that's fair, and it, it kind of um, I guess what what you're saying is you you take the stance that the Yankees took against like the Rays this year when the Rays kept trying to like chirp at them and then create this like rivalry, and the Yankees were like, nah, I, I don't really get it. I mean, granted, the Rays did beat the Yankees, so there there's that, and maybe the rivalry expands from there, um, but. You know, all things considered, uh, I, I like that answer. Yeah, no, and there isn't really anyone who I could pick out who I would never want to win TPL. Um, I guess, besides myself, I would pick the couple most recent winners, um, like Todd and Hunter, and even going back further, Hannafin, uh, just because uh, if I'm not going to win, I like seeing new people... Uh, added to the leaderboard and welcoming new members to what is kind of surprisingly for how long TPL has been going on, a pretty small circle of people who have uh, had the TPL belt for 12 months. So um, if it's not going to be me, I like seeing uh, people who haven't won before get a tally on the ledger. That's fair. Um, All right, so then second one in terms of your fandom. Yeah, so I was big on the Reds last year, and what a just disappointing way to go out. Some of the most inept offensive baseball you'll ever see in your life, especially stacked up against what was really, really great pitching performances from a sick pitching staff, and just a sad, wet fart of a performance in the playoffs. Um, definitely still rooting for the Reds. Their offseason in general uh, organizational direction is a big bummer and as I've grown further and further from the Red Sox and you know I'm over a year into this not rooting for a Boston sports team which I I really don't have any regrets on I don't like read their news I still click on articles about specific players like Devers and Bogarts and Sale who I like but um, it hasn't been difficult probably helps that they suck ass um but i've really enjoyed just following players that i like uh, like akuna like tatis grew on me last year honestly which is a big bummer because he has joined the elite keeper echelon up there with your akunas and your sodos and bellingers um so that's a nice little development for you um but just kind of following the sport and the good players and um, the interesting storylines from year to year, I'll probably be a little bit of a fair-weather Reds fan and just kind of a um, baseball in general fan going forward. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it will be certainly more interesting to see 
kind of the the emotions that might come up if the Red Sox, for example, probably not this year, but let's say in the next two or three years, actually put together a pretty good team and start making a playoff run. I think that that might be where your your um, your devotion or lack thereof to the team is is more tested. Yeah, for sure, and. You know, it's I go to um, one of my main sports websites, The Athletic, at the autofill for my uh, for my browser goes to The Athletic Boston, and I'm always just ignoring a quarter of the articles there uh, because there's a lot of you know Red Sox news on that site. But it hasn't um it hasn't been hard, and I really don't miss it or the team at all, which I guess is a little bit sad. But uh, ultimately, I'm perfectly happy with my decision. Nice. Um, all right, how about the next 10 years of TPL? Yeah, man, so I think it's going to be interesting as we've gone from, you know, college, young adults into careers and um, people are getting married. I would imagine that there will uh, be the first TPL baby at some point here in the near future. We've got, um, I thought you were the first TPL baby. Oh, yeah. boom, roasted. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's fair. Um, but, uh, so, you know, with we've had such good results with Draft Weekend, and the COVID thing is such a bummer because we really started to hit our stride with Draft Weekend two years in a row with perfect uh, attendance and doing the live draft, and it just it seemed like it was building and building and building. And as we, you know, get older and people get pulled in different directions, not everyone or not most of us are you know living um right next to each other ideally and i hope and i see for myself uh, you know a commitment to it and a sense that it's something that we have to look forward to and a great opportunity to get back together um and that's just the draft week inside of it and building off of that i hope it's a way for people to stay connected as we you know go from our 20s to our 30s and go from um, you know, being getting our real lives started to really getting into the uh, heart of it. Um, and I really just hope that we are able to maintain what has been a great group and a great way to uh, keep in touch and have some fun and um, really get the juices going, both from a competitive standpoint, from a good-natured ribbing standpoint. Uh, there's so much that I love about it, and I hope we can maintain that interest and continue to, um, you know, build off it and grow the relationships further. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. I think um, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that most people would feel pretty similar, and I think the we are at an interesting inflection point in our own individual lives. I think you're, you're hitting it spot on as people get married and we move to places that may not be kind of as close to each other and... Um, you know, there's other big precedents in our uh, big um, responsibilities in our lives, whether it's children or, or more taxing careers or whatever it may be. Um, I, I'm, I'm very curious and very optimistic that this uh, the league will not only be very strong uh, and continue to uh, be something that we all enjoy and, and kind of do in our own way that fits our own individual lifestyles, but also is a fantastic way to, to keep in touch with some of the people that we may see even less so than we, we did before, but 
yeah, I think that I think that that's great. That's your your thinking is exactly what my thinking is, uh, and I'm optimistic that that's what's going to happen. Um, so I'm gonna we're gonna do one quick um, wrap up thing. I, I know we were gonna go through a team review, but um, my friend Mike just came into my apartment, and I feel like it's rude to continue to uh, to draw this out much further. So what, what, instead of kind of going through a team review, I'll just ask you, Sam. Um, give me your um, what, give me your top three teams uh, at the end of 2021. So it's tough because going the last year, I had this uh, idea of a top couple in my head, and I haven't really reset my expectations for everyone's teams based on who they're likely going to be keeping. Um, you know, like Max would have been up there, but he was counting on Chris Bryant as a keeper, and that looks not great now, but he also has some other good keepers. Um, I still think Weeks has that core of Devers, Bellinger, Judge. Uh, I think he had, I think he has a good pitcher too. Um, and Luis Robert that, you know, he can lean on. Todd has the draft picks and you have a combination of good keepers and draft picks. So based on what I thought going into what we expected to be the next TPL year, I would still say that's kind of the core four that I'd be looking at, but I really need to get back into people's teams, not only keepers, but draft capital, and kind of see where I see strengths and weaknesses, and frankly, who I need to be concerned with. I don't necessarily see myself competing this year, but at the same time, one of the projection systems says that Akuna's 90th percentile outcome is 140, 130, 50, 50, so... If that's something that's on the table, then you don't necessarily need too much around that to be competitive. So uh, we'll see. I'm excited to, to get this season going, and I think that um, you know we kind of got to jam it in. I, any even a 60 game season, maybe. You know, obviously we hope it's over 100, but um, I'd hate to see two lost years of TPL plus a potential mess up year with the whole labor thing next year. Um, so I'm excited to get back into it, even though I don't necessarily think I'll be one of the top teams. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun having this back in our lives, um, you know, for real compared to what we were doing last year, which was great. And I really want to applaud you for putting that together and also uh, congratulate you on a win, even if it's not an official TPL title. It was a great performance. Well, I, I um, as commissioner of the league, I made myself my own uh, COVID Cup trophy. So I think the, despite the fact that I did not win a belt, it was a, a great season for me and a, uh, a fun little thing to keep myself occupied. And, uh, and I wanted to commemorate it some way, but I'm also very much looking forward to, uh, to TPL at this point. I think it, it is interesting as people start to get back into it, just um, the, the changes in expectations for different teams as they look through their, um, their keepers and, just to bring one, not to rag on Chris's team in any way, but just uh, as a team that I've spent a lot of time, you know, chatting with Chris over the last couple of months and talking about his team, um, what would have seemed like a very, very strong keeper base, for example, uh, going into 2020 with Pete Alonso, um, Ketel Marte, Jordan Alvarez, uh, and then Luis Severino, Zach Gallen, Shane Bieber as like the options for... oh. And I don't know if I said Jonathan VR, but basically like six keepers that you could realistically get very excited about. Um, now to 
Pete still obviously having great uh, potential and upside, but a little bit of cool water around his uh, his draft capital after last year. VR, very much the same thing. Keto Marte, very much the same thing. Jordan Alvarez <laughs> having like... Jordan's 23, doesn't play the field, and his knee still can't keep him out there. So right. uh, what do you do with that? Right. Um, I guess the, the nice thing is Shane Bieber looks better than he did prior to the year before and, and might make more sense as a, I think it's like a fifth-round keeper. And Zach Gallen, I think, is a, uh, a a good pitching option as a late-round keeper as well. Obviously, Luis Severino probably gets shut out from that. But it's I think people will just realize as they go through their teams that, like, some players that, I mean, Gary for me is a perfect example, someone that I was, you know, constantly very excited about to now having a lot more question marks around them. Uh, it, it'll just be interesting as people start looking at their teams and, and getting back on board. Right, and you have Chris who has such a dichotomy in his uh, farm system too, Forrest Whitley, who it seems like we've been waiting on for three years now. I was supposed to be this perfect pitching prospect and hasn't even been able to... Uh, get into the dugout to hit some trash cans for the Astros. <laughs> he must really be suffering from the Adderall he took that one time that he got busted for. Yeah, exactly. And then you counterbalance that with Wander, who you would hope we would see this year, but it's also the Rays, so even when we do get to see him, you know, who knows if they'll really unleash him in full right away. Um, so you're definitely right. Sully has an interesting team with, you know, some of the seems like it shifted from hitting to pitching potentially based on what happened in, uh, in 2020. So I'm excited to get, I think we'll see trade talks pick up conversation on Slack pick up and we'll get the, uh, the familiar repartee going again. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm very excited for that. And, uh, I'll, I'll wrap this up here and we can, uh, chat again on, on Wednesday. And I look forward to, um, I will publish this basically right away so we can um, so people have a chance to listen to it this afternoon or tonight or sometime Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, but hopefully it's not too too long. And if you're, I guess I'll, I'll text this, but for people that just want to catch up on the call and don't have time to listen to the full episode, I'm glad we did the, uh, the technical stuff up front. Uh, but Sam, it was, it was great chatting with you. Have a good rest of your Martin Luther King Day. Uh, and then we will chat in two days. Thanks for this together. I'm not can't wait. All right, see you. Bye.